Full name introduction right there. All right. <laughs> Good morning, Agape. How's everyone doing? Good, yeah. It was Valentine's Day last week. So we got our fix of food, chocolates, flowers, maybe some alone time and quiet time for those living a single life. You know, but it was good. Can't complain. Everyone was happy, right? Good. That's awesome. Well, I loved today's worship, but it tends to be that when I am giving a sermon, I tend to love worship more. And, and I was thinking about it, and I, I feel it's because I come to church prepared. I come to church ready to receive God's Word. I may be trying to give God's Word, but I come to church ready and prepared that God has put a message upon my heart, and I want to share it. But I walk through those doors unhindered by what's behind them, by what's outside. So when I come and I, I, and I get led by the worship team in, a, in facilitating worship for me, it just feels so powerful and impactful. It's almost like every song chosen was chosen for me. You know, I love Mino. He does it for me. But actually, he does it for everyone here. The team works hard for everyone here. More importantly, they work hard for their relationship with God. That if, if one person showed up today, and that was the person preaching, they would still worship as they did. Nothing changes. The last song, I Surrender All. I don't know if everyone was singing. Or if your, your mouth was closed and you were singing in your heart. Or you were, you were letting the words just brush over you. And you were praying that commitment to God. God, I normally don't, but today is a new, fresh day. And I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. It's such an intimate moment that we as a body of believers gathered together today and committed that to God. We were intimate together in this moment, in this church, in surrendering everything we have to God. Our desires, our passions, our heart, our next five minutes, our children, our friends, the forgiveness or the unforgiveness that we may have towards another who committed a crime that we feel is punishable. I surrender it all to you. I loved worship today. Thank you guys. Amen, Amen to that. Amen. So, all to say, God is good. All and all the time. Power, you guys said it this morning, right? Yes. So today, the sermon that um, has been prepared, or the word that I got when thinking about, hey, so what am I going to speak about? What, am I, what will I share? I'm young, 
You guys are much older than me, some of you. <laughs> so what can I say to impart wisdom upon multiple generations? And coming off of a harder week than usual, harder in the sense that life gets busy, but also in the sense that maybe my relationship with God wasn't as where it should be, right? And um, coming out of uh, sin, I was starting to think to myself, like, God, how is our relationship? What does our connection look like? And then what I tend to do is I tend to relate my relationship with God as though, I, as though he were a human being. As though he were sitting right there and I could actually talk to him and hang out with him and converse with him. I mean, we can, right? But I actually relate it to someone who I can tangibly go and hug. And these are the questions that came to my mind. This is the journey that God took me on. And I'm not sure what you're going to get out of the message today morning. But I pray that God takes you on a journey as well. So question. How often do you, do we, engage in extramarital affairs? What, when is it appropriate to break the commitments in your vows? How often do you go outside the comfort of your home to lie in the arms of your lover? How often do you invite that very lover in? This is not a traditional sermon, but what it is, it is a very long-winded question. A question that is applicable to every single one of you, regardless of marriage. If you have a commitment to one another, if you have a commitment present in your life, this message is for you. The common answer, and as I looked upon your faces as I asked those questions, is it's never appropriate. <laughs> it's never a good time. It's never okay and validated to break vows or to break a commitment. It is never okay to cheat on your spouse, ever. You may not know this, but love, as God intended it to be, is simple. Life, as God intended it to be, was simple. Last week, Rhea spoke about Adam and Eve, and they lived a simple life. It was a great life, a life filled with opportunity and love, a life of being able to communicate face-to-face -face in the presence of God. Life as God intended it to be is simple. But sin is not. Sin adds confusion to our otherwise blissful ignorance. 
It offers us a second opinion. It gives birth to new choices. Sin is always enticing, but it never delivers. It's a false promise or a hope for something better only to be met with perpetual emptiness. What sin does is it second guesses God. The questions we asked earlier were not in regards to the current relationship that you are in right now. I'm not talking about your husband or your wife. I'm not talking about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I'm not talking about your current relationships. But rather, we're talking about the relationship you have with your king and your heavenly groom. Today we bring a new perspective that will hopefully be a catalyst for change. Today we're going to talk about the ugly side of love. The ugly side of our relationship, our marriage, our eternal commitment with God. Today we're going to talk about cheating on God. It is often comical how people seem to be in a position of stress and anxiety um, in, a, in, in a state of defensiveness when people start to question their current relationship. If someone came up to me or someone came up to Anne and said, hey, do you cheat on your husband? She'd look at him like, what kind of question is that? If someone came up to someone else who may be in a dating relationship and said, hey, do you cheat on your girlfriend? When is it okay to break the commitment to your girlfriend and date another girl behind her back? I'll say, I mean, is this a, what kind of question is this? The answer is never. It's never okay. But how come we don't get as defensive when people say, hey, did you live a sinful life today? Yeah, I did. No defense. No care for the fact that we just cheated on God. Why is that? Why is it culturally acceptable to cheat on God when it is absolutely reprehensible to cheat on your spouse? How is it inexcusable or often unforgivable to sneak around, keep secrets, and cheat on your spouse? And how is it excusable when those actions are committed against God? If someone comes to me and says, hey, I cheated on my wife or I cheated on my husband, there may be a little bit of judgment in me. You know? Something's wrong with you. We need to work on this now. Not tomorrow, today. We need to gather some pastors, 
Maybe Henry and Rhea, you guys got to do some marriage counseling. You guys got to get to the bottom of this. You got to bring out the truth. Yeah, I mean, you got to work on it. Whereas if someone came to me and said, yo, Rich, I got drunk the other night. Ended up in someone's bed. And, you know, I prayed to God for forgiveness. Like, oh, okay. At least you prayed to God for forgiveness. That would be my response. I would be, oh, man, you know, that, that's not a good thing to do. But at least you prayed to God. There would be no intervention. There would be no um, cause for concern. You know, yeah, I would be concerned for the person and I would walk with them. But it wouldn't be this, let's get gather around, let's pray, let's work through this, let's, let, let's figure out a plan to come alongside and support you. Why? Because we cheated on God. It's not that big of a deal. I ask for forgiveness. I don't understand why it's excusable to not be faithful to a king that is always faithful. To a person who never cheats on us. As a matter of fact, this person had to die and cheat death so that we may live. John chapter 14, verse 15, Christ gives us a very simple command. A very simple response to our question. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He only has two commandments. Love him, which you already talked about right here, if you love me, right? Love him, and like it, love your neighbor. Everything else is encompassed by those two commandments. So you see, we are all living in a dysfunctional and abusive relationship. And in this relationship, we are the abuser. We are the aggressor. And we have made God to be the abused or the victim in our relationship. We have made God to be the one who does not know how to let go. We have made God into being a sucker in this world. Abusive relationships are far more than just physical hurts. It is mental. It is emotional. It is financial and verbal. It is unrealistic expectations. It is one-sided gain. It is cruel and it is insulting. It is anxiety-provoking. It is debilitating. It is suffering. And more often than not, it is ongoing daily. If that does not describe your relationship with God and our relationship as sinner with perfection, what does? Remember, this is the ugly side of love. This is often our unspoken truth. This is often what resides in the depths of our hearts. This is often the place where shadow is casted. And God, we don't want light to be shone upon this. Because we don't want it to be revealed. But this morning, we go through that journey and we talk about it. Talk about it with yourself. 
Abuse is defined as treating someone with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. What happens is that the victim tends to become a prisoner in the house or the temple of the abuser. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A lot of us have prayed that prayer of salvation. We have asked God to be the center of our life. This verse shows us that God says, if you ask for my spirit, if you profess with your mouth, if you know in your heart that Christ is Lord and Savior and that he came, died, and redeemed you, I will give you that spirit. I will give you the very same spirit that moved Jesus Christ the very same spirit that led a transformation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? And that you, my friends, are not your own. You do not belong to yourself anymore. Because there is a king residing in you. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We sit here today holding the Holy Spirit captive. Because God is faithful to us that regardless of our missteps, He will still reside. He will not leave us nor forsake us. We hold the Spirit captive. It is our unending stubbornness that restricts the work of God in our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your, eyes, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then that the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and sex. You cannot serve God and materialism, God and hate, God and alcohol, God and pain. You cannot serve God and unforgiveness. 
You cannot serve God and pride. You cannot serve God and serve yourself. You can only serve one master at a time. God is not asking us to be professional multitaskers where you can serve multiple people at one time. He is wanting you to serve Him and Him alone. We can only choose one master. Matthew 16 to 25 tells us, For whoever wishes to save his life to save his soul, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for his sake, for Christ's sake, will, will find it. We have transformed this king of ours into a slave. A victor into a victim. We have demeaned the one that redeems. We have bitten the hand that feeds us. We have assumed the position of leader in our life. In your body, where two reside, one is yourself and one is the spirit, we assume that we are the leader amongst the two. In this organization that I call myself, I take control and not the spirit of God. We have cheated on our king. We have cheated on our eternal spouse. We need to pray for forgiveness. And I know we do. I know you do. But this needs to be a daily commitment that we make. To pray for forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but to pray that we repent, that we turn away, that we make every effort to move past what hinders, what steals, what kills, and what destroys. We need to realize that our relationship with God is not existential, but real and tangible. Remember, love is simple. But it is our sin that confuses it. Your, your relationship with God could be perfect. But it, it's those hang-ups in our lives that undervalue and demean the love that we desire to have with God. John chapter 3, verse 16. One of, one of the Christians' most famous verses. Right? It tells us, it shows us how, how much God loves us. That He loves us with a sacrificial kind of love. That He loves us in such a way that He will give His one and only. There are two couples in this church that recently had a child. All of the parents in this church at one point in their life only had one child, unless you had twins. <laughs> there are no twins here. Right? 
only had one child. Understand this, parents. And for those who aren't, try to assume, try to imagine that the birth of this child would lead to suffering and death. A terrible, terrible death. Yes, he will be redeemed, but he will have to first walk the plank for something he never did. Say child number one had to be sacrificed to save child number two. I mean, I'm not a parent. I can't imagine it. I would not do it, quite frankly. I'm sorry. Child number two, I know you're cool, but you can't kill your brother. I mean, it's the way it is. You know, you got to go over to God sooner. You know? I would not be able to do it. Thank God that I am not him. John 3.16 talks about this famous love. But it's in verses 19 to 21 that it sheds light on our extramarital deeds. It informs us of our consequences, but it also communicates our reward. Verse 19 says, This is the judgment. That the light, that is Jesus Christ, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For our deeds, Jesus Christ has come into the world. We have gone to his feet and said, wow, this is Jesus Christ. This is amazing. He has come into our life. He has redeemed me. He is the one that I've been waiting for. He is the one that no longer gives me an excuse to be in my darkness. But guess what? Well, we still choose our darkness. A lot of us have said at some point in our life, God, if you come down right now, I'll follow you. It's such a lie. You won't. I 100% guarantee you won't. And God knows it. That's why he doesn't come down. If, that, if it was that easy, he would show up every day. Like, here I am. Believe me. And walk away. Go to the next. But that's not the truth. That is not faith. He already came. The message has been passed down. We understand it. We know it. People try to disprove it. Satan tries to disprove it. He can't. Verse 19 shows us that we make a conscious choice for darkness. That things we love and our will takes precedence over his love and his will. Verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light. For everyone who sins hates Jesus Christ. Now a lot of us have I've asked the question to some, not a lot of us, and I've said, who do you hate? Who in your, like, it's like, oh, no, I, I, I don't really hate anybody. I mean, I, 
dislike them, but I don't hate them. Well, this verse says there's at least one person you hate if you practice darkness. So, in communicating that with people, say, well, you know what, okay, I don't really hate humans, but there are times in my life where I practice hate towards God. Not my words, guys. It's in the scripture. For Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 21, gets a little redeeming right here. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Not going to lie, did not know what wrought meant. <laughs> I'm sorry, English majors, I apologize. I didn't know what it meant, so I have to Google it. And, and when I Googled it, it was powerful. I was like, wow, what wrought means is to be shaped, is to be bent, it's to be fashioned in God. How awesome is that? What I love about this verse is that it doesn't say you have to master the truth. What it says is you just need to practice it. Just like an instrument. Just like the craft that you're good at. Whether it's being a teacher or a doctor. Whatever it is, you have to practice it. That's how you get better. God is not expecting you to master the truth. At least not right away. But over, the, over time, he is expecting you that you do get better. Because with continual practice, you will get better. It does not say to master the truth. But rather practice it so that your deeds, your actions, everything you touch and do will be manifested as though having been fashioned by God. How amazing is that? Imagine that. You are a teacher in a public high school or a private high school. And you have practiced the truth in your life, in your personal life. So that when you go and start to teach these kids, you start to see God working in them. You, you, you taught mathematics. I didn't teach nothing about God, but for some reason these kids love God. I don't understand why. It's because you practiced it in your quiet space. You see, God does not need you to practice His Word publicly. Practice with Him privately, and He will show Himself publicly. God is not calling us to perfection. But what He is doing is He is calling us his standard of excellence. I have always defined excellence as being the pursuit of perfection. You will never arrive, but so long as you pursue it, 
practice of perfection is what God is wanting you to do. The practice of staying faithful and loyal to Him. Do not buy into the principle that it cannot be done. That is a lie that Satan has taught you. That is a lie that he taught me. You can strive for perfection. Set your bar high. At this moment, I'm going to give us a time to be able to reflect. A time where you can pray to God. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. God, shine a light in areas that are dark so that I am aware and more importantly, we are aware. Ask God to help you be perfect in His eyes. In addition to responding to this message, I have a challenge for you this week. Simple challenge. And it's to read a passage in the book of Colossians. It's Colossians chapter 3. I want you to live a Colossians 3 life. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Amen. Thank you.